Welcome to Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. I invite you to join me on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as a participant in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. My guest today is Master Penman, Jake Weidman, and I'm very excited to have him on today. I'm a huge fan. I've been following his work for at least seven or eight years. I have shown many of his videos and materials and teacher trainings that I've done at schools, and I think the message that he has to share with us today is very, very important for educators and school leadership in deciding how you're going to apply the art of penmanship in your education of children in your schools. So I'm just overjoyed to welcome to our show today, Jake Weidman. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of it. Yeah. So Jake, what I'd like you to do first is just tell our guests your story and journey and how you became a master penman. Uh, yeah, because it, it is a rather unconventional journey, um, as it is an unconventional uh, career. Um, I never thought I'd make a living as an artist. Uh, I never thought that, you know, it would be my full-time thing, but always my, you know, passion in the margin. And so I went to school for psychology, and um, I, I thought I would specialize in art therapy. And so I, I did apply to... Uh, the art program, but was actually rejected. Um, and uh, and that was really a first for me, having like really excelled in art all my life, only to get to college and finally be able to apply and kind of keep this side game going of uh, of my passion for art and then and then to be rejected was was rather a heavy blow. Um, but uh, you know, God, God really saw, you know, to my to my career and to my path, and he, um, uh, he sort of dropped into my lap this op- this thing um, uh, called master penman, and and it was something that I stumbled upon while I was in school, and I found down this happy little rabbit's hole this uh, this small association that was keeping the arts of penmanship alive, and so I discovered this uh, this YouTube video of John DeColibus, who is still the greatest ornamental penman alive and one of the other master penmen. And when I saw him writing, I was like, that is it. That is exactly what I wanted to do. And so I did a, a deep dive into the, the association and the history. And, um, and so I was, I, once I found it, I just, I pursued it heavily, even though I was, I was in school and, um, and still didn't think, you know, it was going to really, there was going to be any future in it for me other than just as a, as sort of a side passion. But uh, after graduating college and not really finding any work in psychology, but always finding these little jobs in art, um, these little jo- jobs grew more and more into a career with, um, you know, kind of my my love for penmanship and lettering as as that special sauce that thing that distinguished me um, from other artists and and started marking my career as I went forward. Well, I remember when I stumbled on, it was uh, a little mini, like a mid 
Coors commercial <laughs> and it was your sure. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was eight or nine years ago at least on YouTube. It's been a yeah. while. Yeah, yeah. It was so... uh it was it was right around that time. And it was and that was kind of a tipping point too in my career. That that little video certainly made it made its rounds. It ended up going viral in the first week and getting over like 20 million views on well i was i was one of the 20 million so (laughs) nice yeah well i remember um so around that time i was hired to work at responsive ed charter schools and help transition 25 uh k through five schools into a classical um model Mm. from a kind of Mm -hmm. a more of a regular traditional um, charter school model into a specifically classical model. And they brought me in to help transition those schools. And I had to come up with a plan of what are we going to do our first year to train these teachers? And I knew Mm. copy work was a really important part of classical education Mm. and they needed to understand how to apply the art of copy work in the classroom with 20 students. And so what I did was to break the ice of this conversation, I showed your video, that particular video, which I'll link in the show notes. And all the teachers loved it. They were on board and I created all their copywork passages from the class novels the students would be reading. And I trained the teachers in how to implement the art of copywork in the classroom. Well, um, come to find out that years later, the teachers are still showing that video in the classroom to their students. Oh, my you're daughter, kidding. Wow. No, my <laughs> daughter actually was a teacher aide at one of the schools for second grade. And they were learning, they were beginning to learn cursive in second grade at these schools. And um, my daughter comes home and she goes, mom, you're not going to believe this. She goes, you know, that video of Jake Weidman and, <laughs> and handwriting that you love so much. And I was like, yeah, I showed it to the teachers a few years ago when I trained them. She goes, well, the second graders love that video and they ask to watch it every single day. Are you kidding me? That is crazy. My gosh. Yeah. That is so, so you, sweet. Wow. I'm really honored a, to hear that, actually. I wanted you to know this, that you have had a huge impact in classrooms at schools, mm. not only with teachers, but little children that that little course commercial wow. story that you did has had a huge impact on a lot of students and oh, I went in that's and, so great to hear yeah and then I went in and taught there were seventh and eighth graders at one of the schools and they um they were not teaching cursive at all at that time because the Texas state standards had eliminated cursive from the mm. standards but I yep. went in and said we have to do cursive because it's really helpful which you and I'll talk about in a little later helpful for dyslexia and it's really good to learn for any student they need to learn cursive and so I I said I'm happy to make a presentation to your middle school students about this so the teacher said yeah I Mm. want you to so I came in and I talked to them about cursive and I and I showed them your video and then I said now how many of you would like to learn cursive just be honest don't be shy if there's only one Mm. of you that's okay don't raise your hands just because another person is raising their hand the entire class their hands shot straight up in the air And I said, okay, well, your teacher doesn't have time to teach you cursive. So I created this little packet for you to learn all the strokes so you can self-teach in cursive at home. And I got an email from the teacher two or three weeks later. The students were asking for more. Wow. Oh, that's so great to hear. 
Isn't that mm. encouraging? So oh, I that's am, so awesome. I am more than ecstatic to have you on my podcast today because the impact you've had personally with the schools I've worked with. So I'm just, yeah, I'm very excited to have you. <laughs> I want wow. our my podcast listeners to know who you are and know how important your message is. So I want to dive into a quote from your TED talk that you did years ago about penmanship in the 21st century. So what mm. I'd like to do is in this particular quote, I'm going to read it, and I will put a link to that TED talk in our show notes. You gave, you actually talked about the power of the pen, and you made some an important statement about educating children in penmanship. And this is what you said, mm. and, we're, and then we're going to unpack it. You said, beyond the fact that we are in a modern age, I do believe that typing is a very fundamental tool that children do need to learn. However, they should not be learning it at the expense of handwriting. Schools are learning more and more on technology, leaning more and more on technology to help move kids down the conveyor belt of the educational system. But what we need to do is be a good steward of both and listen to what technology is telling us and pick up the pen and keep writing. It is not technology that is the direct enemy of the pen. It is our dependency on the technology. And the greater we grow on our dependency of technology, what we may soon find is that we have created the most technologically advanced way of creating illiteracy. Use this, the pen, and you will develop creative literacy. Handwriting is such a personal act, and it is, is it any wonder that you can actually use your own signature interchangeably with your fingerprint? So I want to unpack that quote. There are basically three huge ideas I hear in this. One, you distinguish typing as a tool and penmanship as an art. The mm -hmm. proper role of technology in education and then the idea of literacy with pens. Because that's, I don't think a lot of people have created have made the connection of literacy with a pen. So I want you to sort of take that quote and unpack it for us. So yeah, the detriment that we see today I think is becoming more and more apparent to people, which is why there is such a pushback um, through through a lot of like the charter schools and classical schools and you know homeschooling that has taken off like crazy because they they see the things that were done where it was in the public school system that was always trying to like to pare down and strip back and make things easier to move kids along that conveyor belt that I spoke about. Um, and and in so doing, it's like they realize that they've they've thrown out so much of the development, the actual development of the child with just the acceleration through the educational program, so-called. Uh, because it's like in the end, it's like they're not educating them on much. They're just trying to make them meet requirements and um, get them through the curriculum year, year after year. Um, but not paying attention to their critical development. And, uh, and that's what I was saying is like, you know, we have, we have all this unbelievable research. And, and this is what I was touching on in that statement is like, uh, you know, in school, in cognitive psychology, I, uh, you know, we learned about the development of the brain and how critically important it was that all of those interconnectivities of using your hand to formulate the letters gives you a deeper understanding of the anatomy of each individual letter so that you're able to recognize it when you see it on the page. So it lends really well to, to writing, but it also lends deeply to reading, uh, being able to write correctly. 
And, you know, reading and writing, those are the, um, you know, the two pillars of, of what it means to be literate. And, um, and so sadly, I, you know, it's like they've done away with that. You know, Texas is among the 41 states that stopped requiring, you know, cursive handwriting as a part of their curriculum. And in some states, uh, I believe it was Indiana, um, required no handwriting education whatsoever. It was, it was essentially a, um, a take-home packet with your parents. And so, um, and I think this is sad on, on a couple of levels. Um, first, I think it's, you know, the biggest detriment is, is to the overall education um, of children, which we've seen drop, you know, precipitously over this, over the past several years. Um, but there's also, you're weeding out the actual creative part of learning. Um, we like to, we usually tack on, you know, the arts as sort of this, et cetera, to education, which is why, you know, arts and music programs are the first to go when a school program has to cut its budget. Um, but they're doing so even in the, in the smaller areas and handwriting is one of them. Handwriting is an opportunity to actually call on your creativity when you are learning and, and be able to be expressive and communicative at the same time. And so it's like when you, when you do away with that, you're actually, you're not only taking away the fundamental parts of what it means to be educated, but you're actually stripping out the beauty and the creativity as well, which draws you more and more into the educational process. Right. Oh, that is really good. Um, I think that the idea of penmanship tying to literacy was a really important statement that you made, especially how the tactile movements of the pen helping the students actually learn how to read. Do you, mm. Can you say, can you speak a little more into that at all? Um, yeah, well, I mean, um, there's actually a lot that, uh, especially when you're you're speaking of cursive, um, cursive handwriting in particular um, creates it, an even stronger connection in the brain by link by literally linking one letter to the next. Um, this helps out in a lot of ways. It helps, um, you know, handwriting all shows very early on in kids um, who struggle with dyslexia. Um, who struggle with dysgraphia. Dysgraphia is where you're flipping the letter um, mm -hmm. in, in a different direction. And so it's like, if you're not writing that down, if you're just typing that on the keyboard, then it's like, that's never going to actually show up. You're never going to realize that that, um, that, that there is, um, you know, that aspect of the child needs, needs some further education to kind of hone in on that, on that micro level of education to help them get a greater understanding of the letter, its functionality, anatomy, and appearance, so that they're able to read it. Um, so what cursive handwriting does is it actually creates a connection inside of the brain as you're creating a connection literally on the paper. There's connections in the brain that are going on to help you orient the, the letter correctly. So you're fighting... Um, you know, you're fighting that dysgraphia um, and then that stronger connection, one letter to the next, really cements it in your brain and creates a, a tighter identity of the word as this, you know, 
as this beautiful chain of letters now linked together and that has more of a solid representation of the word in your mind so that you're able to recognize it and um and that's that's really beautiful not to mention that you know the the ergonomics that go into writing there's a beautiful rhythm to writing cursive and um and i also talked about this in a, a little bit in that ted talk but um you know, Platt Roger Spencer, when he first created Spencerian penmanship, it should be written at a 52-degree angle. Well, that is that is most pleasing to the eye, and it, and it is most natural. Um, it is the most natural leaning angle of the letters when using wrist movement. So those that larger joint, rather than relying on all of the finger movements um, to form the letter. So in the end, it's writing it becomes more fluid, more natural. It's a natural expression of your body and you don't fatigue nearly as quickly as you do just all, like always depending on finger movement. Uh, so there's there's so much there. And then it's like, and we just forgot. It's, it's like we we forgot all that our, our forefathers had poured into this, had developed and instilled in this, in this form of handwriting. And we follow sort of this... Uh, it's one of my favorite terms from C.S. Lewis. He calls it chronological um, snobbery, where you know you just by default you believe that because you are of a later generation, that you are of a more modern age, then then you automatically know more than every previous generation that went before you. Uh, but that is not at all the case, and that is not at all what education itself stands on. It it stands on like learning from the past and building always on um, the discoveries of um, of people in the past, and that is and that is the greatest expression of human flourishing. So, to to do that, to to all of a sudden like throw out what all of our forefathers had poured into this had had really innovated in this really dynamic and amazing way um, is to really cut out the cut off the branch that we are standing on. Oh, that's great. Yes. I want to talk more about the Spencerian writing curriculum because I'd like to uh I love that curriculum personally and I should tell a short little personal story. Hopefully my husband's okay with this. <laughs> he went through a little brief hiccup that was very strange in his early 40s where he started smoking. He was not a smoker. And he started smoking. He smoked for about two years, and I hated it. And do you know how he stopped smoking? He decided to take the Spencerian cursive workbooks I had in the house and teach himself handwriting with his non-dominant hand as an effort to help him quit smoking. So every time he would really, <laughs> every wow. time he would want a cigarette, he would work on his Spencerian handwriting with his non-dominant hand and it helped him to quit smoking. <laughs> it's a crazy story. That is so fascinating. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Spencer <laughs> could put Nicorette out of business right there. Right. Everybody <laughs> followed that. <laughs> How so fascinating. So That's great. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? I thought it was very funny that he chose that in his handwriting got beautiful with his left hand. He's not, he's not a lefty. Mm. Um, so Spencerian handwriting is, is, if I understand right, it is the curriculum that was used in schools traditionally, like up until June, do you know the history of that or when, when they stopped using it and why they stopped using it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, 
it uh it evolved well let me let me go back so with the great like west westward expansion <clears throat> and you had all of these like small schoolhouses popping up um it became a real challenge you know edu like um and this was across the board there was a real challenge as far as like creating a real standard for education mm -hmm. That was especially true of handwriting, because up to that point, what we were just essentially borrowing English roundhand, um, and which is what the Declaration of Independence was written in, um, and it's a very beautiful form, but it takes a lot of, um, it requires a lot of ink because it is a, a shaded script. There's a lot of like heavy downstrokes, so you're laying a lot of ink on the paper. Um, you're also fatiguing the quill which they were writing with a lot um, by putting a lot more pressure on the quill and so more quill cuts would be required to sharpen the quill um so it was, it was very slow it was very laborious and especially to teach to children it, you know is very difficult and then to keep that uniform across the whole country that's spreading westward and you have these little um, school systems popping up, there was definitely need for America's own style of penmanship. And so along came Platt Roger Spencer. And Platt Roger Spencer was, you know, he was only a young boy. He was just obsessed with handwriting, uh, but he was so poor that he couldn't even afford uh, paper to write on. So <clears throat> a lot of his a lot of his initial forms were actually worked out uh, just riding in the sand on the shores of Lake Geneva. Um, but he had this beautiful philosophy um, to his handwriting. He believed that God, who is the creator of all, of all beauty and of all nature, had instilled that beauty in nature. And so if, if Platt Roger Spencer took inspiration for his handwriting from the things that he saw around him, then he would have the beauty of God in his own hand. And so the the lean of the letters was inspired by like the wheat blowing in the in the field. Yes. Um, he found ovals in everything. He he saw ovals in the round rocks on the lake shores of Lake Geneva as he was like working out his letter forms in the sand, or even the movement of like the joints of animals, like a bounding stag or or a or a jumping bunny, you know, was was sort of he saw in that this sort of elliptical shape, and so he poured that into his his letter forms, and that sort of created this this beautiful aesthetic backbone to his hand to his writing, um, and then from there, you know, he uh, he also you know he he figured out muscular movement, so movement from the wrist. And that that was that was critically important to the to the execution. And then it was also an unshaded script, so it required less trips to the inkwell because you weren't laying down as many as much ink, and it was it was more uh, fine hairlines. And at that point, he was um, at that point that he devised his handwriting. We were transitioning from the quill to the steel pen point, which was a huge. Um, invention at, at its time and radically changed uh, penmanship moving forward. So that was a great tool that came right at the right time. So that was that was the standard for handwriting for um, for Americans for years and taught throughout schoolhouses across uh, across the country. That's fascinating. Uh, can you tell me about what year that was and when that started? 
Yeah, it was actually it was it was right around the end of the Civil War. So it was like late 1860s is when he first started um, <laughs> devising this this style of handwriting. And then from there, it was actually, you know, it was picked up years later as there were further advances in, uh, in like writing technology, excuse me, um, as there were, as there were advances in writing technology, there was uh, another master penman who came along, um, and he, he was a, his name was a Palmer and, uh, he created the Palmer method for handwriting. And he essentially, he got his start because he was working as a log keeper for the railroad. And so he was writing all day long. And it, it was his responsibility to record every single train that came into the yard and catalog everything that was on each train car. So he was writing by hand all day long. And so he took Spen- Spencer's form and he sort of abbreviated it. He took away some of the flourishes. He he created some of the ligatures to link a little bit quicker to switch back on themselves in a way that was a little bit more fluid and truncated. And from that, he created what is essentially, I mean, it's more well-known uh today even than Spencerian script in the school in the school realm because it it had a longer run essentially. I mean it I think it it only stopped being a, a fundamental part of um of the school system is in like the um late 70s or or even early 80s. So it was a it was a very popular form of penmanship that um that we know today as as traditional american cursive oh that's interesting so if t- if schools are looking for do you have like opinions on curriculum for teaching children i'm sure you have small children like what <laughs> you what would you be looking for as a parent in a school you know sending your kids to school in curriculum for penmanship uh that's a really good question you know my my mentor michael soul has some phenomenal books out there for for um, American cursive handwriting, um, both young and old. Um, so, in and in fact, I just wrote a forward to uh, to his latest book on it. Um, so, uh, that's a great. He's got some really great resources out there that are obviously going to be rooted in in all of this rich history. Mm-hmm. So does he have curriculum for children that would be appropriate in schools? Yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, some of them are some of them are younger. I'm not sure. I'm not as familiar. I think he came out with one recently that was for for younger ages. But I know he's hugely popular in like the homeschool network um, for his curriculum. Um, so I'm just not sure if he's ever cracked the nut into like a, a formal. Uh, educational like system beyond homeschooling but he's he's a real go-to um in that sense because i see you know i see a lot of um cursive handwriting curriculum in fact i've been asked to endorse them but you know that like when i look at them i take a close look and i'm like i can't put my name behind it because it's like there's certain things like letters not following the same slant angle is is pretty critical that's what creates you know it's cohesion that means that it's executed using the same muscles um in this in a similar movement and so it's like those are the things that i look for when i look at kids curriculum because it's like if their letter forms are are off of a consistent 
slant angle or they don't share the same base root in in, in some of their fundamental strokes then you know for me they don't pass muster but uh i have a rather high bar so michael Saul, how do you spell his last name s-u-l-l okay so we'll look him up online and get his uh materials on the in the show notes do you have children that you're teaching at home your own children uh i do well um yes i have uh right now we're we're doing like a hybrid homeschool program between the, and this is like the school that we're at is like a classical yes. uh, Christian school. And so they have, um, they have like their traditional program, but they also have a, a homeschool hybrid. And so that's what actually what we're doing with our daughter right now. And she's loving it. She's excelling at it. And, uh, handwriting happens to be one of her favorite things that she's doing right now. Cause she's oh. learning cursive in uh, and she's technically in kindergarten so a lot earlier than than i did growing up i had to wait till the third grade so um which i was chomping at the bit to do so it's it's a real joy to see her as young as she is uh just absolutely excelling at it so i'm curious is her cursive um are her cursive lessons in kindergarten tied to her learning of the phonics phonograms and reading you know i i believe that they are she's she is learning that at the same time okay. so my my wife is actually more in charge i of course i <laughs> poke my head in whenever it comes time to like to talk about cursive handwriting but uh but my wife knows my methods rather well so um so she's doing <laughs> a good job and making sure that uh that emma is is learning um, beautifully, but yeah, she's, she's learning like her phonetics. Um, and, yes. and it's really fun to hear her like recite through that and even see her, like she just started reading and, and that was with Hannah and, and Hannah's like super excited about that. She says, it's so thrilling yes, to be able to teach your own child to read. It's such a rich reward. It really is. It's true. I've done the same thing. Um, I think the school ought to hire you to come in and do professional development for for handwriting and doing copy work. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've we've talked about that. There's probably uh, down the line. There's like a um, we're we're in discussions about having sort of an after school kind of mm -hmm. handwriting calligraphy intensive uh, at some point. Yeah, I think there's a huge need, and uh, I can get you connected with a lot of schools that could use you if you want to start doing some professional development for schools. It's it's, uh, it's important. It's very needed, um, and I'm very concerned about the well the well being of the mind in schools today being very tied to handwriting. I think it's it's one of the uh, arts that has been, as you know, just not. Um, valued as important and i really appreciate that you're tying it directly to literacy because i could not agree more i think that good phonics programs are going to tie cursive penmanship into learning how to read and there's a there's kind of a, a misunderstanding that by learning to write in cursive there it's going to hinder their ability to learn how to read print have you heard this or do you have any thoughts on that no, uh, there is nothing. Uh, there is nothing in the data that that shows that. Um, absolutely not. Um, I think the the prevalence of like 
um, the prevalence of like regular uh, type is is so is so part of our culture. Um, it is much more likely the case that the kids do not who do not learn how to read cursive, um, who do not learn how to write cursive, are not going to be able to read cursive. Um, that has proven out uh, time and time again. And even you know, it's like you look at it's not just receiving a beautiful letter from grandma or something and not being able to understand what it says as sad as that is you know there's also there's you know it's it's our founding documents um for this country were written in in cursive and it's like you're not going to be able to read like like you know documents from history um if you don't understand cursive and uh not to mention that it's like even around us like how many how many beautiful logos are done in in a um, connected script and um and it's such it's such a beautiful form of writing that really rounds out the the broad expression of um of human creativity and their integration of of thought in the word and expression because there is every every individual form of writing carries underlying sort of its own expression and even elements of its own of the culture from which it was born and the time from which it was born so um you're missing out on a lot more by by not learning cursive and just thinking like we can go to something that is um you know how boring of a world would it be if 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 it was all just you know, Ariel or Helvetica. Um, that, that's a rather dark and dismal world to imagine, especially for me. It's true, and I I love fonts. I I am very particular about fonts. I my my classical education podcast, the word classical education is in cursive, and I hired a professional artist to draw the whole piece of art, which is on my website. But um, it's a beautiful, gorgeous mural that she hand drew with pastels i paid a lot of money and then we just pulled a part of it out mm. for the actual podcast logo but i was like if you're going to talk about classical education and how classical education is the art of teaching and learning then i couldn't just have a little vector that was done on a computer i needed right. something that was hand drawn and i needed the word classical education to be cursive and um, in fact, it's interesting, the whole banner I have of the the logo that the logo came from, it, now that you say it, it, it has lots of ovals and movement because <laughs> I'm thinking mm -hmm. there's water and the waves in the water have that. Oh, how pretty. Nice. That, that uh, Spencer saw in nature. I was even thinking the ripples of water have that cursive look to them, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so great. I'll yeah, the website and take a look at that. <laughs> yeah, it's on the podcast uh, tab of the website down the bottom, and and the whole the whole painting I had. Well, it's not a painting. She did pastels, but she mm. hand drew the whole thing, and it was pretty large actually. I have a picture of her drawing it. She's a beautiful artist. Oh, so um, cool. So, and, and and I know there's a lot of research that people could dig up and find. Do you have any on the top of your head of research that? supports like typing versus cursive versus print or is there anything you could point to directly i mean we can put some links in the show notes if you can't think of any at the moment i know that you've mentioned some yeah you know i mean a lot of them were actually um were actually 
you know, years ago and kind of in the, um, it was when I was getting my degree in psychology. And of course, this was an element that I was fascinated by. And we did, we did talk at length on, um, about it, especially in cognitive psychology, which is one of my favorite classes. And, and, uh, and so a lot of it was actually in the kind of in the, like the research bank of the university, but there was tons, there was tons of research showing the, um, the implications of, uh, uh, that writing has on the brain and that not, and what not writing does to, um, to education. So, you know, it's just kind of sad. It's like, these are, it's, it's a rather, it's kind of crazy, the hubris of a society that on the one hand, like, will discover th something, it's, it's not even arguable, uh, but then reject it entirely. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't quite understand how they square that circle, but right. um, we are, and, and that yeah. <laughs> happens in a lot of different ways right now in our society, so. It's true. Well, I hope that uh, some schools that have headmasters that are listening would consider that, that even like calligraphy and some of the more, um, uh, what do you say, like what you're you're doing, the master penman type of the art of penmanship classes could be offered at schools, especially for junior high and high school electives, I think would be really important. But I think that really getting good penmanship in the elementary schools is crucial. Um, oh, I guess I wanted you to talk a little bit about your work with making pens, because I've, I've kind of followed your work and I think it's beautiful and, and maybe talk a little about about the importance of having a good writing tool and how that makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a part of my journey. Like when I first started, I was just kind of I was disappointed with what was available at my local art store. It was these sort of sad, you know, plastic pen holders. Um, and so, uh, and a pen holder is is different for those people not in the calligraphy world. The pen, the pen holder holds the pen nib which is typically, you know, called the pen. So when I say a pen holder, it's like the shaft which holds the pen. And uh, so I, I started making my own to hold, to hold my nibs for me as I wrote. And, um, and, you know, became, it started off as like a beautiful, fun expression, integrating my woodwork um, into, into my calligraphy. But then, um, I really discovered the importance of ergonomics and balance to the pen is is really important for having control, especially for doing, you know, those really minute movements, things like pen manipulation, which is, you know, which way the tines splay as you're writing across the page in order to create the variation of the line. Um, but furthermore, it was like keeping your hand in that proper writing position. Um, and so I started creating these very like ergonomic forms that, uh, that by their shape, they sort of help you, uh, hold the pen in the right position. And, uh, this was really like groundbreaking, um, for me. And, uh, and so now it's, it's typically the only, I, I haven't been able to make pens for a while. I'm actually working with, uh, an individual now about who is going to be um, producing my pens because I'm so inundated right now with just commission work. But um, 
the only pens I sell now are are ergonomic. Um, so there's either the signature ergonomic or uh, the hummingbird ergonomic. There's sort of this beautiful shape that emerged of this like abstracted hummingbird um, in one of my ergonomic like experiments. And uh, it just fits so beautifully and naturally in the hand and is obviously very, it's much smaller, very lightweight. Um, so you can gracefully move across the page. And um, and so that's that's been a really... Uh, that's been a really critical part of my my career and and even my success. I I think is just is being able to to um, recognize the proper tools and being able to to make them when I need them. Right. So, is, are you selling them on your website? Is is there a link we can provide in the show notes? Uh, they are forthcoming. So yeah, we. I mean, and I'm not sure. Um, we might create. I'm sure Hannah could put together a sort of a list for those people okay. who are like interested in those in those pens because we will have those up and running very shortly. Okay, yeah, let's go get those in the show notes. Even if I launch the show before we have the links, we'll at least get them. I can always edit it and put them in there later. Um, do you? What about pens and pencils for children? Is there a recommendation for what to look for and what not to look for for children? Oh man, that is a that is a really good question. You know, I I would say like uh pencil practice is very good for for kids. There's a lot of forgiveness to to pencil practice and there's a lot that you can actually do. You can actually get some line variation and and um and stuff as as the children get a little bit more advanced if they want to do something that's more akin to Spencerian script and is a little bit more expressive there's things that that uh, like i even start a lot of my students off in my calligraphy classes by picking up the pencil again so um so just a just a really good um you know semi soft hb or, or number 2 pencil um is is a really i mean i love um black wing pencils are are just they're so so nice they're so beautifully made um, they give you a, a good, a good healthy eraser on the end of it. Um, and, uh, and it's made of like aromatic cedar and high quality graphite. So, uh, so those are beautiful, beautiful pencils to use. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, I, I recommend, and I'm still trying to figure out what the magic point will be because we haven't quite transitioned my daughter to pens yet. But I, I'm a huge advocate for fountain pens. Um, so if your kids are a little bit older, um, getting them into fountain pens would be a really good idea because using ballpoint pens requires so much pressure and friction that it sort of trains you to have a heavy hand as you write, which is going to fatigue you. It's going to change the shape of your letter form and make the, make the whole experience a lot more laborious. So writing with a, a fountain pen where the ink is more fluid, you don't put much, you don't put any pressure down. Um, that, that is a much more natural way of writing. And then, um, and then in the penman, in, in like the fountain pen world, say you never get into calligraphy, there's unbelievable fountain pens out there that are just uh, phenomenal and, you know, you can, you can really, uh, 
you can really go to all ends. One of my great, one of my best friends is uh, Brian Goulet, and he owns the largest online fountain pen retailer. He is the largest fountain pen online re retailer, and um, he has a, some amazing resources. Um, and he's done thousands of videos on uh, using fountain pens and upkeep of fountain pens. So that's a really great resource, uh, gouletpens.com. If you uh, could send me after our interview, send me a link to maybe a few that you would recommend for like junior high and high school students. Yeah, yeah, because the they make they yeah. make disposable they they make disposable fountain okay. pens that are um, really cheap. You can buy them on Amazon even, and uh, they're made by Pilot. It's called the Pilot Varsity, and um, it's going to be just as expensive as your. Um, pretty much your every like everyday like ballpoint or rollerball pen, and um and they're they're beautiful to use. They're really really great. So great entry point, and you know you can dispose them afterwards after you're all finished up with them. Okay, this is really helpful. This is what schools need to know. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, great. and any any other tips you can think of for teachers in terms of. Let's say we've got a second grade teacher who has a student who's just complaining that their hand hurts so much. What tips would you give to that teacher? Mm, yeah. So, so then that's, you know, it's, it is about, you know, going back to some of those forms, which I, I know Michael Soul's curriculum will talk about. He uses a lot of combination movement. So, whereas like transitioning from, you know, finger movement to whole arm and wrist movement might be very difficult for a lot of people in our modern age who are just so set in finger movement. He's got, he's got a great, um, great resources out, out there on combination movement. So it's all of those things working together. So, um, so while a child may use pretty much by default, all today is going to be using the majority finger movement, which is going to cause your hand to cramp most. Um, there, there are some like exercises and disciplines um, in the, that are expressed in the book that uh, talk about using more like wrist movement. So that would be really helpful for, for students like that. Okay, this is great. This is amazing. I've, I've learned so much today. Um, okay, I'm going to close our, our interview and ask our closing question. My closing question um, that all of our guests uh, get to choose from. You can either tell us a quote that has had a you know huge impact on your life or a book that you wish you had read sooner in your life. Mm. Uh, you know, a book that I wish that I had read sooner in my life was... Uh, it's a tiny, tiny little book of lectures by John Ruskin. Um, and he, uh, he was like the leading, like art critic of the Victorian period. Sesame and, and Lilies, right? Is it Sesame uh, and Lilies? No, it, it's a, a Joy Forever, the two paths. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> the one that I'm thinking for, thinking of. And, um, and so he really talks about he talks about the economy of of art and uh, and of time and of artists, uh, and that one I wish I would have discovered sooner because he just he had some really profound things to say about um, you know artists and and uh, and that have spoken like so 
they've almost been prophetic uh, in, in my life in a way, um, just because they've they've spoken so accurately. Um, he has one beautiful quote in there about, you know, where do you find your artists? Where do you find your men of genius? Um, they are like uh, they are like gold. You cannot make one grain of them. You must find them nugget fashioned in a river stream. You can take them home. You can refine them. You can turn them into um, turn them into something useful, but you cannot make one bit of them yourself. So, um, so that was really that was really amazing because at those times in my life where I was, um, I would say I was I was very much nugget fashioned in a river stream, you know, feeling lost somewhere. It's like that would have given me just um, immense okay. hope. So, What's the name of it again? A joy. A Joy Forever, The Two Paths by John Ruskin. I don't know. Uh, I haven't heard of this one. And I'm surprised because I'm a John Ruskin fan. And in fact, when you go to my podcast tab on my my website, which is beautifulteaching.com, go to my podcast yeah. and you scroll down, you'll see the banner I had commissioned. And under that is a John Ruskin quote. Oh, is that right? Oh, and that's it, so, that is so awesome. My that's first to actually bring up John Ruskin is a is the end of the podcast interview. So that's I'm excited. <laughs> I like you even more. I already liked you before, but yeah, no. <laughs> oh, nice, good. Yeah, he's um, he's a hero, and uh, and his work has been such an, a deep encouragement to my own. Thank you. Well, this was amazing, and I will get. Uh, I guess I'll email your wife all of this uh, links we need that we've talked about, so we can get them in the show notes. Yeah, that's great. I'd be we'll, we'll definitely do that. Whatever you need, we'll get it to you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure uh, to to be a part of the conversation in the podcast. Thank you for listening. You can get involved in a few ways. There's a Facebook page where we actively discuss the ideas around classical education. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. And if you want to help offset our production costs, you can support the podcast financially by going to www.classicaleducationpodcast.com forward slash support. As the great artist and educator John Ruskin once said, Well, my friends, the final result of the education I want you to give your children will be in a few words this. They will know what it is to see the sky. They will know what it is to breathe it. And they will know best of all what it is to behave under it as in the presence of a Father who is in heaven. 